McDonald's All-American high school basketball game. And, um, we come, we do a whole show on it, so it basically starts. We start covering it on Saturday, and the games aren't till tomorrow night. So we just go to all the different events. So when they're so when they're training, do they only eat McDonald's? Is that how it works? Yeah, they sweat. They sweat Big Macs. Hmm. It's fun. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Trek Companion. I'm your host, Brian Williams. I am Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. This is episode 87, and today we're going to be discussing Next Gen's fifth season, episodes Silicon Avatar, Disaster, and The Game. Here we go. Silicon Avatar, Season 5, Episode 4, Production Number 204, Original Air Date, October 14, 1991, Directed by Cliff Bowl, Story by Lawrence V. Conley, Teleplay by Jerry Taylor, Music Composed by Jay Chatway. Guest cast include Ellen Gear as Kyla Marr and Susan Dial as Carmen Davila. While surveying land on a Federation colony, Riker, Data, and Dr. Crusher are suddenly attacked by a massive crystal-like structure, which begins to descend towards the planet. Riker recognizes the object as the crystalline entity and immediately begins herding the colonists together into a cave. The group watches in horror as the entity destroys the countryside with brilliant beams of light. All but two survive to find shelter inside a small cave, but the cave has limited air supply. Riker tries to contact the Enterprise, but ultimately fails. My son died on Omicron Theta. He was 16 when the colony was attacked. That is the reason I have become an expert on the crystalline entity. I have spent my life studying it, tracking it, and hoping one day to find it. Silicon Avatar. Who wants to kick <laughs> us off on this one? Mr. Caesar? Um, you know, it's funny. I think I like this episode less the next time around, this time around than I did, like, years ago. It's not like, I mean, not like I watched this and was like, oh my god, this is the worst episode. It was just, I liked it a little bit less. I just kind of felt like um, it wasn't a good episode for Picard. I kind of thought that he kind of just glossed all all over all the warning signs that this um, doctor had, mm-hmm. and, and I don't know. I don't know, I just kind of felt like it wasn't one of... Picard, a, a great. It wasn't. A, it was a good data episode, and it was a good episode because you learn more about the crystalline entity, which is an interesting life form and all that kind of stuff. But I just kind of felt like Picard was kind of off his game in this episode. It may fall a little bit victim to the um, focusing too much on the guest star kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I do think it's a really cool story. You know, the the, the whole Moby Dick thing with, with her and. Um, you know, kind of devoting her life to seeking revenge on this this creature for the death of her son. And certainly, you know, I'm an older person. We've talked on the show about <laughs> now that I have a child of my own, it does kind of change my viewpoint on some of this stuff. Like the scene when she's on the triple lift with Data and says, um, I wonder if my son, like... Um, died calling for me you know mm. I, I that was that was more emotional and resonated with me in a way that I, I certainly never did before which I assume is because I now have a child 
But um, overall, I think I, 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 I definitely see the flaws in this episode, and I see where you're coming from. But I think overall, I, I probably enjoyed it more than I did the last time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, maybe a, but, but it's a slight difference. Steve, your first thoughts? Um, I, I guess I come down in the middle there. I don't. I think I, I liked. I remember it as it was, and I liked it relatively well. It's not like a. Not a, not for me. Not like a, a favorite, but I also don't dislike it. You know, um, it's you know it's got a little bit to say, and uh, you're right. I think it focuses a lot on the guest actress and the guest star, and she, um, that character, of course. You know, first off, she's treating you know data bad, and it kind of you know gives gives you a bad impression right off the bat, and you make makes you not like her, and then you know where she's going, and she kind of starts losing it and all that stuff. So, um, you know. I like it fine. I guess I don't have a strong opinion on this. Yeah, she way. almost almost plays it too like she's went and gone nutty near the end. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. yeah. yeah. Uh, don't, just a little bit too much there because I, I think that 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 takes away from it because because in a way you can just you just you you subconsciously a little bit like start to just just dismiss her actions being yeah. out of being yeah. nutty and and that what data says about i think your son would be sad now I, you threw your <laughs> yeah. career away it's almost it doesn't have the kind of weight it would if it had seemed like she was making more of a rational decision like mm-hmm. if she had, if she had rationally came to this conclusion and killed it um as opposed to well she's just crazy you just well i mean that's just chemicals in her brain right you know yeah, yeah it doesn't have that weight so i, I so maybe there are many scenes where I think she's pretty good, but there are. But overall, there are so those times where, as a performance, that maybe she, and that's probably something that, you know, that um, that was done with the director. So maybe the director had, you know, because he's the one that has the idea for the tone of the overall piece uh, in a way that uh, an actor working in in a micro way, as opposed to a macro way, maybe can't see as well. So maybe it's also you know the director was partially responsible, but regardless, um, it's not. It doesn't the the end doesn't have that impact, uh, and and it should because with the exception of her killing the entity. After a while, it does kind of seem a little bit predictable here and there. Mm-hmm. You know, I I really like the whole storyline about the. Um, you know, we, we I think we already knew, right, that uh, Data had some of the colonists' memories. Mm-hmm. Um, but that this woman kind of gets to relive the last few months of her son's life uh, thanks to Data, That that's a really interesting storyline. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe they go to back to it in one too many scenes, but I, but I like that. I like that moment. I think, well, was that... I don't know. It kind of felt like that was what they were using for the justification for her kind of going over the deep end. Because that, that when when that stuff starts, that's when she kind of what you were talking about. She kind of just goes a little bit crazy. So I don't. That's kind of I. I don't know if that's what they were going for, but that seemed like the catalyst there that kind of sent her over the edge. Was are those scenes? Yeah, you know, and the whole it's kind of unclear as to what exactly is going on. I mean, it's one thing to have all the the records of the colonists, you know, in you know they've been downloaded into him. But what do they mm-hmm. mean with the memories? They keep referring to memories. It's like, well, what's what's the story here? Are they imply well, he some says kind something of- like, Doctor Soong experimented with transferring something out of the frontal lobe. And- uh, okay, well, 
Mm. I mean, they say something like that, and then he said, and then she asks him, doesn't she? I think if he has like specific memories, right. and then he just says like, it's pretty limited. I yeah, it's very limited, but I have like the most extreme right memories or or emotions or something. Those I have an image for, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I, I don't know. It's it's it maybe it's a stretch, I suppose, but um. It, it works. It's interesting. It doesn't take me out of it or anything. How did the um, how did the opening um, sequence look on Blu-ray? It looked great. And I'll tell you this: this is not something I think very often when I'm watching an episode of of, of Star Trek. It looked like it had a lot of production value. Like, look at all those extras. It mm-hmm. felt like a feature. You know, I couldn't believe how many extras they got. Um, they never they, get that. How the entity look in the sky? I mean, it was. I mean, it's pretty overwhelming. The, no, that's one of the things I think they did a good job with, Steve. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, it looks like it looks like it did then, but just in HD. They didn't go. They didn't do anything right. else with it. Mm-hmm. You know, and first, do no harm, right? So I'm, I'm fine yeah. with that. Yeah. Um, I en- I enjoyed um, Riker's little um, James Bond scene there. Oh, God, the I laughed out loud at his <laughs> yeah. thing. You know, when he started, like, that's my favorite part of dinner. You know, the dessert. And dessert. I just, I, yeah, I just laughed out loud. <laughs> yeah. Felt like right out, of a Rod, right out of a Roger Moore. I mean, we essentially out of these three, you know, three episodes, we have two of them that are like let's start off with Riker's exploits or whatever, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you knew she was good. She has to buy it though. As yeah. soon as everybody starts running, as soon as she collars for him and turns around, like she's dead. <laughs> but you know, for such a seemingly. Um, minor character and minor uh role there in the story um they get a lot out of that it's not wasted that scene between uh Riker and Picard it's a good scene when of course Riker would never ever disagree with Picard in front of everybody but he but he he goes into his office and says hey I kind of agree with Dr. Marr um maybe we should kill this thing when we have the chance um and uh you know that scene starts off with Picard mentioning whatever the name is, Car- Carmen, I think, uh-huh. um, you know, and asking if Riker wanted to write the letter, and then, you know, Riker tags the scene at the tail there of saying something like, you know, I'm going to go write that letter now, but he says it with kind of a bite, you know, yeah. right? <clears throat> saying this is exactly why we need to kill this thing, mm-hmm. so that nobody else has to write another letter like this in the future. Yeah. Yeah. There's certainly, you know, a part of me that, hey, I've said it before, I'm no enlightened 24th century human. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I'm watching this with my own eyes here, my own time period, and there's a part of me that is right there with her, and 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 okay with her killing this thing. There really is. I'll admit to that. Um, maybe it's not the majority of me, um, but you get this sense that. Picard is the only one that wants to go so far that he's like, well, first thing we have to do is try to communicate. You know, even his own other officers are a little bit more like Mar mm-hmm. and Riker and less like Picard. But there's a reason that he's the captain. We've said yeah. that before, too. Yeah. You know, because uh, he can kind of transcend these situations. Yeah. 
you know, one thing, uh, this is kind of irrelevant, I suppose, but does anyone, anyone else think at the end, you know, where when she's locked up the thing, number one, she's locked it up and data can't break it, which I'm always skeptical about. But anyway, she's <laughs> locked up the controls. And then why don't they just fly away? Yeah. You know, she hasn't locked up the whole ship. <laughs> I mean, I know yeah. it's for the episode, but th- that doesn't make any sense. Why well, they couldn't just, all right, you know, do a 180 and get out of here, you know? Yeah, it seemed a, it seemed a little bit flimsy how, how they how they killed the entity, you know. I mean, I guess it, it makes sense, but at the same time, it's kind of flimsy. It uh, seems like they could have come up with something a little bit more creative for her to kill it. Mm-hmm. And maybe, I think maybe it would have had a little bit more impact um, if there was, you know, they make communication with the entity. Maybe if they would have spent, spent a little bit less time on her and added maybe another few minutes on the entity about what this thing is about and that it's not evil that whole end scene might have had a little bit more impact if we were able to have a little bit of more knowledge or compassion for the entity because clearly that's kind of where they were going there for a couple seconds when they made communication and then they just cut it off so um i think i I agree with you brian it's just um the end is really you it doesn't really feel like a lot of resolution and maybe that would have helped the episode if we knew a little bit more about this entity creature Hmm. was i the only person that was that could at least in some way empathize with her no i i i get it i mean Mm -hmm. you know i mean especially if you know, it killed your child. You know, I mean, there's like there's a line you cross. Well, there's it's very difficult to be logical about it anymore. But there's two know? things here. There's one just base revenge. You know, and let's. I think we can all agree that there's very little, if any, um, positive uh, contribution to society from revenge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's also, and this is the part of me that, you know, that that would feel some empathy to her action, there's the sense of, well, like what, and what Riker was getting at too, you know, if we kill it, we, we can save lives. Yeah. We can stop yeah. this thing from ever doing that again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Um, Riker's kind of felt a little bit more natural to me because, I mean, you know, we all know the time frames of what's going on here. I mean, but the entity literally killed her son over 30 years in the past. So, um, I don't know, you just don't, I don't quite get that sense of like, you know, it almost felt like her son had just died, you know, recently, but you know, this has been like, like I said, over 30 years since this, that, since that incident happened, I was thinking because what data was in Starfleet for 26 years and then you yeah, wasn't, think yeah, about it. more like right. 40, wasn't yeah. it like 40 years before the show that they found him in Omakante, I think. Yeah. Seven. So, I mean, so it'd been quite a bit of time had passed. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, I mean, it sounds like we've started to kind of talk about what this show's about. What, what is this episode about? Uh, the futility of revenge or how, I don't know, I, I felt like at the end, you know, I, I remember um, this episode and how it was cold it seemed in a way, even, the, you know, with Data and the way he delivered your son would be sad. In a way, it's like... You know, it's really back at her. I mean, that's what's about the harshest thing you could say. And he's just so nonchalantly saying that. You know, your son, he'd be really sad right now this way. <clears throat> but I feel like, you know, to me that kind of just brought home the the how empty it is. Like, so is everything better now that you've killed this thing? You know, is that mm. 
that's that's why it feels to me about the, mostly about the futility of revenge. And there's also, of course, the chase. I mean, obviously, like we spoke of earlier, the Moby Dick analogy and all this. But well, I mean, you. Um, I kind of was thinking about you know, it's just kind of you know, it has to do with like unchecked emotions, un you know, unresolved issues mm-hmm. that this this character went through. She obviously never went through whatever you want to call it, the seven stages of grief grief, and, and came to some sort of peace with her son's death. Um, you know, it's, it, I don't, you, you just, and that's probably what ultimately, that's what ultimately destroyed her. And that's why she, you know, she kind of went crazy, you know, and you see that throughout life with people who don't deal with things. They usually end up <laughs> going nutsoid some, some way or another. So that's what I was kind of thinking about when I finished watching the episode. Hmm. Well, I think, you know, <laughs> I was surprised that I that I uh, enjoyed it because I didn't remember that. So, it, you know, it's nice it's nice for it to feel better to me, even though it sounds like it's Mr. Caesar had the opposite. <laughs> I didn't dislike it. I'm just saying it was just a little Well, less. from the episode's point of view, it came out even because I thought it was a little bit better. Than I remember. <laughs> Caesar thought it was a little bit under, and Steve thought it was just the same. So, well, all right, holy locks and the three bears. <laughs> <laughs> all right, moving on to six degrees for Silicon Avatar. Um, Caesar, you going first or second? Um, I'll go second. Steve, Susan Diol plays Carmen Davila, the woman who assures Riker she is great at dessert. In Voyager's second season, she played a Vidian scientist ravaged by the phage in the episode Life Signs. What radical step does the doctor take to save her? Hmm. Okay, I'm mixing up episodes here, but is this the one where he like makes a holographic body for her? That is correct. He transfers her brain patterns into a holographic body. Uh, Adam, this episode is a sequel of sorts to the episode Data Lore, in which Lore lures the crystalline entity to the Enterprise. What season was that? Um, season two? No. Um, Steve? One. You're correct. It was one. Two nothing. Moving on. Disaster, Season 5, Episode 5, Production Number 205, Original Air Date, October 21st, 1991, Directed by Gabriel Beaumont, Story by Ron Jarvis and Philip A. Scorza, Teleplay by Ronald D. Moore, Music Composed by Dennis McCarthy, Guest Cast include Rosalind Chow as Keiko O'Brien, Calmini as Miles O'Brien, Michelle Forbes as Ro Laren, Erica Flores as Marissa Flores, John Christian Grass as Jay Gordon Grass, Max Supera as Patterson Supera, Cameron Arnett as Mandel, and Jenna Marie Hupp as Monroe. Picard plays host to three young winners of a primary school science contest, and part of their prize is a ship tour from the captain. Just as Picard begins to take them on their promised tour, the ship is struck by a quantum filament that shakes it violently and causes power failures to occur throughout. Communication between different areas of the ship is cut off and crew members are trapped. Meanwhile, Troy, the highest-ranking officer remaining on the bridge, finds herself acting as a reluctant ship's captain. When the filament hit us, the ship was momentarily charged, as if it had come in contact with a live electrical wire. That weakened the containment field surrounding the antimatter pods. The field strength is at 40%, and it is still falling. If it falls to 15%, the field will collapse, and we'll have a containment breach. 
Which means? Which means the ship will explode. Disaster. This is an interesting episode. This is like, um, how in five years of, of Next Gen and three years of the original series, well, I guess, and, you know, a couple years of uh, animated, nobody thought to do this. How did they do yeah. this? Yeah. I love this episode. It's just so much fun. Mm-hmm. But we're not going to have a lot for what it's about. You know, we'll have a little bit of an answer, I suppose. But, you know, mostly this is a, this is just an awesome way to do a bottle show. And it's different than Star Trek. You know, there's so many so many times we watch an episode and we're like, you know, it's it's rare that they do an episode that feels new, that feels fresh, and feels like we've never seen anything like it in Star Trek. But this one, we do. It's not like it's a really fresh idea in and of itself. You know, it's obviously... Um, referencing like um you know disaster movies it's literally called disaster for god's yeah. sake mm-hmm. um i love those movies too though you know um poseidon adventure up until the last five minutes uh towering inferno i love those movies i really do you know the 70s is where it's at for the disaster stuff but anyway how nobody ever thought to do this on enterprise was great and i bet this episode didn't cost very much it's pretty much a bottle show um, maybe they had to build that stuff, uh, the climbing set. But anyway, um, I've I've just always had fond memories of this episode. This is one of those episodes, like Starship, yeah, no, Starship Mine. Um, there's just something about it where if I was flipping channels and I saw it, I would watch it every single time. <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I'm not saying it's the greatest episode ever, but it's just entertaining from start to finish. You know. Um, what are your guys' first thoughts on this one? Yeah, I I concur. I mean, I think it's one of the best bottle episodes there there are in terms of as you said, there's not a big moral tale here or something, but it's as far as entertainment value, you know. I mean, it is it just works boom boom boom, it never gets boring. They set up all the issues in like the first 10 minutes, you know, and uh yeah, sure there's a lot of techno babble and, you know, so on, these kind of uh clichés, but um there there are humor moments, there, you know, drama. It's it, it's great. I enjoy it. <laughs> Yeah, we obviously um, we get a lot of the humor with um, Worf having to deliver having to deliver yeah. Keiko and O'Brien's baby. I always <laughs> like I always like that reference in um, Deep Space Nine. Yeah, um, when O'Brien has a second child. And yeah, Worf just kind of walks out of the room <laughs> <laughs> when he talks about it. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it has a little bit of everything. It has a lot. It like I said, it has very amusing moments. It has very um, really high drama moments with Troy. Um, this is kind of the first time we get to see Troy really kind of put under some serious pressure. We could find out what her rank is, but it seems like she's unqualified for the rank that she has. So they don't really kind of ever explain that. I thought, I thought they did kind of go a little bit of the top when she, when she had to ask what a, um, what, when the warp field would collapse, yeah, what would happen. I'm like, um, yeah, you, uh, I thought you that was funny, somebody. actually. That was funny because <laughs> like, it was like, it was like, they explained it and then she says, which means that, and then almost have to another time, she they explain a little bit more? And then it felt like she was saying, uh, which means the ship will explode. And then I wanted her to say, and that would be bad. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking about something. There should be a few little basic things she should know about since she's right, been on the yeah. five years. <laughs> Warp core breach. Um, yeah, bad. <laughs> well, no, the, light, the lights just turn off if we get a warp core breach. <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, they make it up to her. What is it? Season six or seven, when she has the, yeah, I think it's set seven. Yeah, the command thing she, she goes through. Mm-hmm. I think she even references this episode 
in that, you know, when she was mm-hmm. like taking command training and that kind of thing. They actually give her a real uniform. I just like how everybody has like these jobs that they go go into, you know, and, and Troy's story is that she's a little uncomfortable, but she's not, she's not, it's not like she says, I don't think I can do this. Somebody else needs to take over or whatever. Yeah. But I just like how immediately everybody just snaps into action. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Data and Riker, it's, it's really good. They're, they're in 10 forward. They don't have any communication with the rest of the ship. It's like, okay, uh, let's assume everybody's dead. What do we do? We need to go get, uh, restore power and engineering. Great, let's go. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what else they're going to do. Fine, but it's just something about their um, their character, their never give up, um, you know, uh, attitude and and um, duty. I don't know. It's just it's good and it's nice and I like it. <laughs> um, Ro, I, I read. You know, I always read up kind of how these things were received and how the producers felt about them. This one's worth mentioning. Um, Michael Pillar was sad about. Um, I think he would be sad now. Uh, Michael Pillar was upset about um, kind of the way Roe, especially near the end, um, the way she was just like, Troy, you were right, I was wrong, I'm sorry. Mm. Like he, he felt like um, they'd, they'd gone so far out of their way when we first saw Roe to set her up uh, in this different way as a character who doesn't react like most of our normal Star Trek people, that he felt like she should have either said nothing or said, yeah, Troy, you turned out to be right, but you could have just as well been wrong and killed everybody, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that he felt strongly that they should not have had that apology in there. Um, and, and there's something to that. I hadn't really thought about it until he said it, but he, he was right that it's it was, it was the first step that started ever so slightly to chip away at what they'd gone out of their way to create that made her unique. Mm-hmm. Um, I, think, everybody else. I think they probably could have split the difference there instead of her having to say nothing. and instead of, She could have just said, you know, I'm glad you were right. That's, a, that's the only thing mm-hmm. I think she could have said. Is like I, she didn't have to apologize for because, you know, she was, she was, you know, she was the bad guy in this episode. She was the one they had to give um troy conflict because that's where the really more most of the high drama in the episode came from was was the bridge scenes with her um o'brien and um you know so that's where all that came from but yeah i think that maybe they could have split the difference i kind of felt the same way the apology was just a little bit off from what had been going on but i think um i think maybe just a respectful moment there would have been would have been fine just like you know I, i'm glad you're right and then troy mm-hmm. could, then troy could have delivered her right line like, you know, but you could have easily been right, too, so. Well, the tough thing, you know, uh, Ron Moore's script here, it's, it's very good. It's very, like, economical. But you think about all these different situations, and you're giving each... This is a, you know, 46-minute show. Take out the opening and closing credits, and it's even less. Um, and you're giving a mini-story in each one of these scenarios. I mean, how much overall screen time did any one of these scenarios have? Not very much if you added it all together. Um because, I mean, there's several different things all going on at once. Yet each story feels uh, complete. Um, each story feels like we get to uh, examine these characters and situations that that we're not used to seeing them in and that they're not used to being in. And what that does for us, the audience, 
is it actually teaches us more about those characters. Mm -hmm. You know, seeing how Troy responds in this command scenario, seeing how Worf is <laughs> delivering a baby, um, <laughs> seeing how Picard is with children. You know, and and he has to over actually overcome each one of these situations. They have to actually overcome something. Certainly, it's very clear by the end of Picard's time with these kids that he's reacting differently than he does at the beginning when he's just shouting at them to please stop crying which I know firsthand doesn't work <laughs> it should you, you know but it doesn't um, so in, in that sense it's I don't know maybe a bit obvious but it, but it works and it's one of the many things about this episode more than just the gener general story it's one of the many things about this episode uh, the, the way that each character is, you know, a fish out of water and has to adapt and learn. Uh, it's one of the many things about this episode that makes it unique for Star Trek um, and makes it so fun to watch from start to finish. <laughs> um, what was your, either one of you guys, what was your favorite of the little stories that were going on? Um, I, I would just say I could pick out a couple of scenes, you know, the whole, the scene with um, Riker and Data when, you know, they're talking about having to remove his head. I mean, that's, that's amusing. Yeah. Um, um, it's kind of hard just to kind of say, oh, this was my, my favorite one. I could guess I could say maybe my, the least interesting one was the one with Crusher and um, Jordy, but I still liked it too. But I mean, you know, mm -hmm. of all of them, that was probably the least interesting. Um, but yeah, the stuff with Picard's great. I mean, I can't really... You're asking me to like pick my favorite child, Brian. Aww. I can't do it. I can't do it. If I had to choose, I'd probably say Picard and the kids. I just, you know, like the interactions and it's fun and how he, how he uh, gets them going. You know, he uses you know leadership skills essentially to, uh, but couched in, you know, how to how you have to adjust that for the kind of the psycho psychologically for the mind of a child. You know, to to keep them calm and to get them to safety and so on and there's some entertaining humorous things in there too so how did he get out of the turbo lift yeah i thought that too i don't know <laughs> yeah i thought that too maybe the, wire. Was, the, the kids pulled him up with the wire the right right there. they collectively you know put their strength together and hauled him up yeah <laughs> <laughs> I, I liked it uh he breaks his leg but they doesn't actually say that until like you know quite a bit into the episode mm -hmm. maybe he he's a tiny bit too quick to tell them to leave without him but mm -hmm. I guess it makes sense yeah, yeah. Um, hmm. I mean actually that, that scene was done well when the when the triple lift falls yeah, yeah. they're above it looking down and it, it still seemed pretty scary to me yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah it is strange how gravity didn't give out during all this, you know. That's <laughs> <laughs> everything no, else the... works. <laughs> Gravity and oxygen are the very last two things to go. Yeah, yeah. So, congratulations! You may now give birth to yeah, what this episode is about. <laughs> Staying calm in the face of disaster—that's what this episode is about. I don't know. We kind of anticipated it would be harder to cope with this. It's just one of those more entertaining than it is having a message. But if anything, it's, you know, we kind of alluded to this, but everyone's putting, it's a fish out of water thing. Everyone's put into situations where they're not 
not at their best or in some way, shape or form in most cases. And so it's kind of a, a test, you know, it's a test of who you are and it says something about who, you know, who you are, what you can be if you're put in situations that you're not comfortable in, you know, and how you react. So. And um, I, you know, I think Picard grows in this episode and I definitely think um, Troy grows in this episode. So mm-hmm. even though that, even though, what this episode is about is kind of loose. I, I, this this episode actually moves the characters forward um, and deals with the the main cast characters and and says something about them. And you see actual growth in the forty five minutes you're watching this episode. Hmm. Well, I'll always have fond memories of this one, and I'll still watch it. I have it on Blu-ray and HD. <clears throat> if I was flipping channels and saw the old SD version, I would probably sit there and watch. <laughs> Uh, all right, let's move on to six degrees for disaster. Uh, let's see, Steve has two. Uh, Steve, are you going first or second? No, first. Jana Marie Hupp plays Lieutenant Monroe, the con officer killed on the bridge when the Enterprise is struck by the quantum filament. In Next Gen's fourth season, she played Ensign Pavlik, helping Dr. Leah Brahms and Geordi to get rid of Junior, the space creature that was suckling on the Enterprise in the episode Galaxy's Child. How is this achieved? How they get rid of Junior? Oh, yeah, they um, sour the milk by <laughs> changing the wavelength of the energy or some kind of... A very precise answer. You're correct, uh, Adam. <laughs> This episode marks the first appearance of what character that will become a semi-regular on DS9? Um, that'll become a regular on DS9? Semi, semi-regular. First appearance of a character that'll become a semi-regular on DS9. And that's our first appearance in Star Trek is in this episode. Yes. Hmm. Um, I, I mean, it's not Keiko, but I'm going to say Keiko because I have no idea. Nope, we've seen Keiko before. Steve? Right. Huh, okay. Um, it's kind of a cheat because I have the, you know, in front of me the cast list because that's what I do here. So I'm not, I'm not going to use that. So I, I really wouldn't be able to come up with that. I don't know. Molly O'Brien. <laughs> oh, there you go. Oh, oh. <laughs> was that not a fair question? Oh, I guess it was, yeah, clever, yeah, okay. I guess it was a call. bit tricky. But what yes. is April Fool's Day when you're recording this? It is. <laughs> uh, yes, they're going to change actresses, but the character of Molly O'Brien is going to be uh, a regular on, semi-regular on DS9. All right, moving on. The Game, Season 5, Episode 6, Production Number 206, Original Air Date, October 28, 1991. Directed by Corey Allen, Story by Susan Sackett, Fred Bronson, and Brandon Braga, Teleplay by Brandon Braga, Music Composed by Jay Chataway. Guest cast include Ashley Judd as Robin Leffler, Catherine Moffat as Atana Joel, Colin Meany as Miles O'Brien, Patty Yasutake as Alyssa Ogawa, Will Wheaton as Wesley Crusher, Diane Hurley as Woman, and Majel Barrett as Computer Voice. During a romantic holiday on Ryza, Riker's lady friend gives him an interesting present. She introduces him to an electronic mind game that rewards the player with a pleasurable sensation when they achieve their goal. Eager to share his discovery, Riker passes the game on to Troy when he returns to the ship. At the same time, the crew happily welcomes Wesley Crusher, who is on vacation from Starfleet Academy with a surprise party. There's a, a game going around. It's something that Commander Riker brought back from Ryza. 
It's uh, a device that hooks around the ears. Hmm. Yes, I've seen it. I did some preliminary tests on the game, and what I found leads me to believe that it may have some harmful side effects. Specifically, sir, I think it's psychotropically addictive. The game. Steve, kick us off on the game. Um, this one kind of sucks. I mean, I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I don't remember it, uh, you know, talking about, how, you know, coming into it, what you thought of it. I was like, I just got into it a little bit, and I was like, man, this is kind of silly or whatever and, and i don't remember it being so much so when i watched it that's just my my impression of it I, I don't know maybe because on the surface you got oh this game and everyone gets addicted to it and and you know and so okay it's this big espionage whatever whatever and then wesley's back and that's kind of cool and ashley judd's in it and you know you know she's hot and everything but they ugh, you know it's it's kind of ridiculous a little bit it's kind of silly yeah, I thought, you know, Wesley's been gone for a little while, and he comes back, and they still give him a crappy shirt to wear. I mean, so like the poor guy. He can't, and, get, he can't get any good wardrobe on this show. he <laughs> comes back, and it's a little bit... A little, he doesn't ultimately save the day, but he lends himself to saving the day. So it's kind of like, like just giving in to the cliche that, you know, was surrounding him in, like, the first season and so on. <laughs> you know, it's good grief. Oh, yeah, I think this episode's memorable because Ashley's in it. I mean, obviously, she's very attractive. But I thought she was actually really good in this. You could kind of see the, yeah. the presence that she has. Just, uh, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, But, you know, you can tell that she has a presence about her, a screen presence that, um, you know, obviously it's carried her. Yeah, that's obviously, you know, made her rich and famous throughout the years. <laughs> I don't know why I just popped in my head. Something I was reading about this episode, Brandon Brandon Braga, who wrote this one, he said uh, he he hit on her on set and she ignored him. <laughs> but he said it in a funny way. It was like it's a funny thing to him, a funny memory. Side note, have you guys been watching that new show that he's produced, the, the new version of Cosmos? Uh-uh. I like it. It's really good. There are only a few episodes in, but I I totally recommend checking it out. It's you know it's on Hulu and stuff, but it's been they've been showing like one episode a week on Fox. It's only like a twelve episode thing, oh, um, cool. but it's it's really good. This last one they had um you know because it's Braga producing it. They Isn't had my Patrick, Patrick Stewart do a voice on it. Do what? Isn't um Seth MacFarlane producing on that? As yeah, well? yeah, yeah. They're buddies, the two of them. Uh, anyway, um, not changed it. Um, so, but uh, you know, I I always kind of liked this episode, and I guess I liked it. I still kind of enjoy it, you know. And um, yeah. so I'm I'm at odds with you guys on this one. Oh, I didn't um, say I didn't like it. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm at odds <laughs> with Steve then. Steve says, <laughs> "Yeah, I mean, I, I'll I'll play the the, the middle guy here. I was <laughs> it didn't impress it, me more or less this time. It has around. its problems. Don't way. get me wrong. It definitely has its problems." Um, but overall, I, I enjoy it. And I think one of the main reasons is I like Wesley in this. Yeah. I like the way his character is just different enough from, like, the, he was such a, Wuss has such a negative connotation, doesn't it? <laughs> but I, I just, he was almost sometimes like almost kind of annoying yeah. the way he was before. And I've always said that the stuff he does when he comes back as a guest are the best shows. And I still think that. Like I just I like his character more here, you know. He's he's well, he's, a, he's, he's not more. uncomfortable around um, Leffler, you know. Yes, Ashley is very pretty, and we're guys, so maybe that's the very first thing that we all notice. And I'm just the same. But she's actually a good, she's a very good actress, and oh, yeah. she's very good in this role. Um, and he, 
Wesley around Leffler is, you know, he's like a guy with some confidence. He's not the he's not the wussy guy that he was before. Um, well, I think I, before he was eager to please everybody. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I didn't get that sense from him. Um, yeah. And I, you know, I would also agree he was very confident with um, with um, Leffler, and you know, he, he you could tell he was much more comfortable in his own skin than he was. Yeah, he's good. yeah, exactly. He's he's more Although, of his own person now. He still can't dress. No, some things don't change. <laughs> no, I I certainly agree that he's he's uh, more palatable or whatever in this than he was a regular for those reasons you mentioned. I think, yeah, the problems I have are just that it kind of it, it gets kind of absurd. You know, it feels like a like a zombie film or something. You know, I don't know. Yeah, it definitely point. feels like Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, that's not. I don't think that's on Wesley. I think that yeah, no, I mean, no. But the game is kind of cheesy. It's kind of you know. I almost kind of felt like you know. All the innuendo is gets ridiculous, you know. Yeah. The... But see that okay. So overall, why do I enjoy this episode? I'm going to answer that question right now. It's because, and this is the kind of stuff. It's because this episode has some scenes that really take their time with life on the Enterprise and character stuff, character building, mm-hmm. and. That's Brandon Braga's thing, bread and butter, right here. Mm-hmm. And when I watch this episode, I'm like, yes, this guy is going to be, you know, running Star Trek in a decade and working on it for almost two decades, you know, mm-hmm. like 16 years or something. And and to me, it's the scenes like uh, the scene between Wesley and Data near the kind of the beginning when they're just walking in the triple lift and they're or no, and in, in, the, in the, the corridors and they're talking about, um, you know, pranks that. Uh, Starfleet Academy, or honestly, yeah, the the Troy chocolate scene. Mm-hmm. Um, that stuff. That stuff is minutes of screen time, and doing nothing but building character. In the, either one of those scenes could be ripped out of this episode, and it wouldn't affect the story at all. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I actually really, if it's good, if, you know, if it's bad, forget it. But if it's good, I like that, and I want that sense of, you know, I like I like this sense of of the Enterprise as a real place and these characters as real people, and and uh, this is the kind of stuff that that I really liked what Braga was doing back then, mm-hmm. um, and we don't get that a lot. A lot of the time. You know, it's it's plot heavy or story heavy, and and it's and it's not the kind of stuff that holds up sometimes over two decades, unless it has a lot of you know something to say. And we've talked about that, but here this is the kind of thing that's still interesting to me because people are still having these same kind of conversations. Um, what, what's kind of funny about this episode that you know the you know the game, you know everybody gets addicted to it. It actually kind of is a little bit more relevant to today. You know, we all have our little games on our phones and that kind of thing and I get inundated with people trying to invite me to play Candy Crush or whatever right, right. crazy fad games going on I mm-hmm. can't stand it I can't stand it but yeah to me it kind of the that this whole thing kind of felt like it felt like it fits more I mean the game's cheesy as hell but I mean it kind of fits into kind of today how people get addicted to games and that sort of kind of stuff Well yeah if we especially if we talk about it I'm sure that's what we get into for what it's about, but which is fine for us to talk about that now. Um, if we if we think of it more in, in general terms uh, of of uh, addiction, you know, and not just not just game addiction, um, yeah. You know, I think that that's 
certainly very relevant today. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, but if, if we, let's say we talk about game addiction, there have been things that have happened since this. Uh, in the last few years, we've heard about, especially like in, say, uh, South Korea, where MMOs are really, really big. At least twice I can remember hearing about somebody that just died because he'd just been sitting there playing for like 48 hours straight. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's not a made up. That's like a real story, um, which is an incredible, very sad level of addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of stuff in here that's actually kind of erotic that, that they kind of gloss over. They, they never use the word orgasm, but you certainly get the impression that... that <laughs> <laughs> the chocolate, you know, the whole chocolate scene. The chocolate scene is very sensual, but even like the game, whenever they're successful with those levels, it's actually kind of. I like Nurse Ogawa, but it's a little bit creepy <laughs> to watch her. It felt a little bit like watching your mom or something <laughs> get turned on. I don't know about that scene with her in the turbo lift. That makes me a little uncomfortable. <laughs> you wanted you wanted to go back to the scene with Ashley when she was faking it, didn't you? <laughs> Our show is not an explicit one. <laughs> I really would like to make one thing clear because I know we have female listeners because they've emailed us. Um, we are guys and we do comment like, you know, when chicks are hot and maybe we don't comment as much when dudes are hot because none of us are, are we're all straight men. <clears throat> but hey, if you're, if you're a woman and you want to write in to tell me some dude is hot, I will happily put that in the podcast. Yeah, but We'll talk about it. Yeah, but don't misunderstand when we say that Ashley Judd is incredibly attractive here and she's very, very, very pretty. And that is she's definitely a really true. Great. She's she a really is good a good actress, and she's I love very, very her in talented. this role. I love her in this role, and I wish that she'd... I, I, I don't know the details yet. I need to look it up, but apparently they tried to get her back a third time and it didn't work out. I well, think... I love, yeah, I love I that she got episode. her start in Star Trek. I love it. I love being... I yeah. love that she this was her first on-screen kiss with, mm-hmm. uh, well, <laughs> with we, Wesley. <laughs> I uh you know I hadn't seen her in anything for years obviously but then just recently this past December uh, we took a family trip to Disney World and she was the presenter in the candlelight processional uh, event they hold for Christmas where she uh, reads like the Christmas story as people sing and so on so that was kind of neat. That's cool. I mean, I, I you know I mentioned this the last episode that she was in. You know, I think you know she would be somebody good to return to the the Star Trek franchise because she does have i mean you know a presence about her she could handle herself one of the series of books uses that character um after you know the that was going on for quite some time yeah leffler in that series is leffler i haven't read those books forever but she was in this series of books on a different ship that was quite a few quite a few books that went on for quite some time yeah Yeah. she was the main character in the series she was one of the lead main characters yeah 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 yeah. What was the series? That, side note, what was, wasn't there a series where Shelby from Best Both Worlds? I think it's the same series. Is that I the same that's, series? That's New Frontier, I believe it was the Peter David series. Oh, New Frontier has Leffler. Yeah. You know, I think I own like the engineer, but she's in the engineering staff. You know? I own like the first ten books or something in that, mm-hmm. something like that. I've never freaking read them. I need to because that would be fun. Mm-hmm. Peter David's obviously one of the best um, writers they ever had. Her head on structure. Anyhow, um, is everybody's favorite scene the chocolate scene? <laughs> yeah. Um, what is my favorite scene in this episode? 
I mean, I would have to say, you know, I'm, I'm with you, Brian. I enjoyed the Wesley scenes. I enjoyed him in this episode. So, I mean, you know, I thought this was a good episode for him. You know, all this, you know, the scenes with his mom or his growing up, the scenes with Picard. Um, you know, obviously we've Googled over um, or gone gaga over uh, <laughs> Ashley Judd. And um, so those scenes with those two are good. And so, you know. There's a laugh out loud, like, <clears throat> literally made me laugh out loud moment. I totally had forgotten. And Jordy says, tell him to flip a coin. And Data says, very good. I will rescue him immediately. That <laughs> 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 was so funny to me. That was very funny. Um, the actual game itself, that's kind of... It is, yeah, the game is really, really cheesy. Uh, <laughs> I saw an interview with Jonathan Frakes. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, you know, of course, they don't see what this stuff looks like, the effects work when they're doing it. But he said, um, they told me where they were going to be these amazing graphics and stuff. And then, you know, I see the episode and it's a tube and a frisbee. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, as, as bad as the game was, I love the cure. It's just a little strobe light. Right. right. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> cheesy as it may be, and obviously they really couldn't update. I mean, they did update it to make it in HD, but they really couldn't change it. They needed to keep it the same for them. The, HD versions, but cheesy as it may be, I do think there's something really interesting about you know this device that you're wearing on your head that's kind of just sending the game in there. And even right now, as we record this podcast, you know there are there's um, Google, get your Google glasses. Yeah, there's Google Glass, which does has a little have a little bit of like an augmented reality thing. But you know you can go even one step further. There's um. Uh, Oculus Rift and Project Morpheus, you know, these, these, they're, they're marketed as, as virtual reality headsets, but, you know, um, we're, we're getting just now to this kind of, this, this point, this kind of interesting, obviously they don't, they don't, um, uh, activate pleasure centers in your brain <laughs> so directly. That'd be quite the product. They'd be making yeah. some money on that. Yeah. I'm sure somebody's um, working on doing that though. Right. Uh, so what's this episode about? We talked. We kind of talked about addiction, game addiction specifically. But um, this episode is 1991. Mm-hmm. Um, you had, uh, you know, video games were definitely taking off at that time. That's kind of our childhood too. Mm-hmm. Anybody got anything for what this episode's about? Um, you know, you could kind of, this might be a little bit of a stretch, you can kind of see about growing up, Wesley has matured, we talked a bit, a little bit about that early on, about how he's comfortable in his own skin, and he's confident, and so in a little bit of a way, you can say it's about growing up, becoming your own man. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I think it's maybe kind of obvious, but talking about the the addiction to it, it's that message of the da- the dangers of losing control you know when you lose control over over you know what you know your whatever is important to you the the negative consequences that can ensue i like that it's flipped on its head you know the uh it's the kid showing up and all the adults are the ones addicted to the games yeah yeah (laughs) yeah you know um but anyway i kind of i kind of enjoyed this episode and um i actually i even like the the chase uh, I like it because they, it, you know, when you're watching it and they cap, catch him, it's not what you expect to happen, you know. Yeah. Um, but it it is a little bit more of that um, invasion of the body snatchers kind of feel. And when they're holding him down in, in the captain's chair and putting the game on him, the rig on his head, 
That's that's legitimately scary. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's nothing more frightening to me than seeing like our normal crew members uh, acting normally, but in a sinister, sinister yeah. tension. Yeah. You know, like the way they're talking to him and stuff. You know, that's mm-hmm. that's the body shot you're seeing. Scary stuff. Anyway, uh, let's move on to six degrees for. Uh, the game, Steve has three. Um, Caesar, are you going first or second? Oh, we'll go first. Catherine Moffat plays Itana, the Katarian captain that attempts to overtake the Enterprise with a game. In DS9's second season, she played the Bajoran Palra. Odo suspects she had her husband killed years earlier when DS9 was Tarok Nor. Who really killed her husband? This was the uh, episode Necessary Evil, uh, the flashback thing to Tarak Noir. I'm thinking, would that have been. Who really killed her husband? I know this is wrong, but I'm going to say, was it Odo? But he didn't investigate right, and then Goldicott. I don't know. No, I don't know. Screw it. Steve? Um, was that the one uh, where Kira killed him? Yep. It was really Kira. Kira. All right. Steve? Yes. This episode This episode aired on 28 October 1991, making it the first episode aired after 24 October 1991. What happened on 24 October 1991? Huh. This was the first episode aired... After blank. Um, Gene Ronberry died? You're correct. That was uh, Gene Ronberry died. It's the first episode aired after his death. <sighs> All right. Wow, Steve, you, you sweeped up today, which is, I think, last couple of weeks, Mr. Caesar has won, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I think so. Uh, but you came back with a vengeance today. That's <laughs> this, this might be a record. I think you had five. Yeah. You always got to rub it in, Brian. <laughs> Steve, hey, Steve, I rubbed it into Steve's last. I rubbed it into Steve's last. Steve's your tonight. favorite. I'm gonna go cry now after the show. Not Give true. him all the easy Not questions. true listeners. Not true listeners. <laughs> People here to come the letters. Dear Brian, disappointed on how you bully Adam. See, <laughs> and how you objectify Ashley Judd. You're a horrible person. I really do uh, highly recommend everybody check out Cosmos. Um, they're running it on Fox and something else, Discovery. I don't remember. It's, it's on like two different channels at the same time. Neil deGrasse, Neil deGrasse Tyson is like the host, and it's it's just a, a newer version of the old Carl Sagan Cosmos. And I love that show, but it's I can't watch it anymore. It just feels too dated. Yeah. This is this is really well done. It's really well done, and and it's got some, you know it's made by some Star Trek folks like Braga, and they've been working on it for years. So, uh, All right, folks. Um, I haven't mentioned this in a while, I don't think. Uh, but if you leave us a review on iTunes, if, 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 if you just go in there and click you know, five stars, that helps. That helps people find us. If you really got a minute and you really want to do something awesome, you can leave us just a few, a few words in a review. Uh, again, that's how people find us. Um, and that's the coolest thing you can do. You can... Follow us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash Trek Companion. Uh, our Twitter handle at 
Trek Companion. You can send us an email, trekcompanion at gmail.com. Um, so thanks for spending an hour with us, and uh, we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Until then, take it easy. Bye, guys. See you. I passed it.